0: is this thing on? Can you hear me?
1: Welcome to the Gravy Lift podcast, a mostly entertaining and at times informative place where we get to chat about all the things we love.
0: Music and festival life, yoga and wellness, travel and adventure. We are your hosts, Jordan and Antonella.
1: Is this like a Mexican standoff? <laughs> are you waiting for me to talk?
0: We're steering each other down. It's always at like who talks first.
1: Yeah. I don't you, know. You you lost. The podcast guest.
0: <laughs> so this week we this is our first time having an interview with somebody that we don't already know. That yeah. we've never met in yep. person. I remember hearing about her oh Yoga by biola let me think. I I think I first heard about her trap vinyasa like a year or so ago and I remember just kind of rolling my eyes and being like, "Oh geez, like we need another yoga like hybrid goat yoga like just to <laughs> like some trendy thing to get people I don't know, booty shaking." And so I didn't really think a lot of it. And then I just kept seeing it, kept seeing it, and then I saw that she, her name had been tied to some people that we really respect in the industry. So I thought, oh, I'm going to check this girl out. And I started to follow her on Instagram. And then uh, I think I got her on the calendar without even talking to you about it. I was like, oh, by the way. And you're like, who? What's going on?
1: <laughs> yeah, early on, I was definitely not too sure about it. Just because it was like trap music in the broad term sense that people know of as like an electronic music genre that's like a popular genre right now I was just thinking of it as just like oh it's someone who plays some trap music and dances around
0: exactly that's I figured it was very like superficial and then um, I wanted to have her on because once I looked at her website and saw just like the way she described each of the classes you could tell there was a lot of thought and care put into the way yogic philosophy and Um, just kind of evolving as a human being, like it's really woven into the practice. And
1: obviously people are loving it.
0: For sure. She's killing it. so there's
1: obviously something more to it Mm -hmm. than just, oh, I play trap music. Mm -hmm. Wow. I teach yoga.
0: Yeah. And then she showed up here the other morning, bright and early. She made the trek from, from Seattle and she was just so great to talk to. Yeah. I, I really thoroughly enjoyed all the different paths that she went down. And she was very raw and real with us regarding some things from her past that she's worked through. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah, we discussed everything from substances to, you know, where she was from, which Mm -hmm. is where kind of trap music originated. Mm -hmm. And so without giving too much away, we definitely discussed some very ethereal topics Mm -hmm. and then also touched on some very, like, grounding home where you're from
0: yeah i feel like there's something in here for everybody even if you're not into trap music or you're not into yoga that she just has this great inspiring message for self-love and um i don't know moving into your life with knowledge and that knowledge is is internal
1: and you're always a student
0: yeah Yeah, I feel like I learned a lot from her and I can't wait to go check out a class and I'm going to drag you there with me to shake your booty.
1: Yeah, and channel my inner (laughs) MC.
0: Yeah, maybe we'll take it. Do you think you're allowed to go to the feminine divine class too? I don't know. Yeah, Uh, I think so. Probably. I think she said it didn't matter. All right, we'll do them both.
1: Yeah, maybe we'll bring uh, your brother-in-law along with us. (laughs) Right. An actual (laughs) MC. (laughs) Get him to do some yoga with some trap vinyasa.
0: Yeah, there you go.
1: All right, well on to the morning interview.
0: I don't think we've ever done a podcast this early. <laughs> oh yeah. We always do evening, so I'm like,
2: uh, I'm not quite awake yet. Is Where this early for you? Oh, well, I get up around 7, so Oh, nice. But like to get to be out of the house and like functioning, stuff, like, moving, yeah. yeah <laughs> that's like I'm a very, like, easy morning kind of person. Like, yeah. it takes me a while to get out of the house. Totally. That's
0: exactly how we are. Do you have mm-hmm. your, yeah. I mean, I don't, I know I, like, did some research, but then I also stopped because I was like, I just want to learn from you. I don't want to, like, look up too much stuff online. Mm-hmm. But so, um, have you kind of crafted your schedule and your day in a way that you can create move it slow? Yeah. 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 So, I,
2: I teach full-time. But I don't really do a lot of studio classes anymore, um, just because like my workshops and stuff are um, a little bit more time consuming, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm kind of bored teaching at studio. <laughs> so, <laughs> we hear ya. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: that's nice, though, so you don't have to necessarily be anywhere until a little bit later in the day. Yeah,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. So I only teach at only teach three three weekly classes. Oh, um, nice. Three studio classes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And where are you located?
2: I'm in Columbia City. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. And are the studios you work at near there, or are you kind of yeah, all over? Yeah, so, because Soto is right, like, I'm in, like, Columbia City, Beacon Hill mm-hmm. area, and so I just take the back way to go to Soto, and then I teach at Yoga on Beacon. Nice. Yeah, and those are... And then I do all the the trap vinyasa and divine feminine yoga workshop stuff sporadically throughout the month. And um, yeah, so those studios are nice and close for me. So it keeps it easy. I'm going to grab my water because yeah, my voice it. is still kind of resting.
0: Well, I saw your, your trek in your workshop up north uh, to uh, Summer Huntington Studio. Oh, yeah, I saw that on your Charlotte. events. Yeah, we just had her on the podcast, and we've done oh, really? some stuff with her before with her. The Club um, Bell? Uh, we haven't done Club Bell, but we did the Flow State Summit, and uh, we have met her actually a few years ago working at a festival together. We just kind of connected and have always stayed in touch. And yeah. Yeah, so it was cool to see that on your thing. I
2: was like, oh, nice. I know. I met her at um, Resonance Restival. Have you heard of that? No. It's like a... Um, it's a new festival, and where was it? It was somewhere. Did you say Residence Restival? Reson- Resonance Res- Restival is Resonance the name.
0: Resonance Restival. Yeah, and uh, it's by this like woman
2: it. and her partner who they are the founders of Amtara events okay. and music. And I guess they were doing music events, and but they're also yogis. And so they kind of merged the two together. And that was just this past summer. Okay. And summer was there and I had talked to her through email but we had ever ever actually met each other in person so we connected there and she took trap vinyasa um, which was a little bit different just because I didn't do it to trap beats I did it to afro oh nice Niger beats um, just because I felt like the trap. When I got there, just the people, I was like, I don't know if they're gonna really <laughs> buy with the trap. Yeah, like yeah, because it was like kids and it, it was a it was a really fan like family focused. Um, that was smart, probably. Did. Um, yeah, festival. So it was a weekend. It was beautiful. They had really. It was on a farm somewhere, and so they had all this natural food um, prepared for all the you know all the attendees and the presenters, and it was it was good. We like camped. Nice. It was really similar to Flo to the Flow Summit. So mm-hmm. afterward, when I um saw Flow Summit, I'm sure she was like probably inspired from the from some of those ideas, yeah. yeah, Where was it located? It was, um, I don't know. And this like it was somewhere like it was like an hour south, okay so and on this little farm that was in the middle of nowhere, and they had like everything was like composted. like it was very grassroots and it was just this huge space of land that everyone camped on and it was ne- next to a river and um they had like a little presentation room but most of the majority of everything was outside cool yeah it was i'll have nice. to look
0: that one up yeah. yeah we were just talking about we've done a lot of different festivals and some bigger and festivals that were we want to start branching out and find the little niche ones that have mm-hmm a little bit more heart maybe going on and less the commercialism and the massive amounts of people. So that one sounds yeah.
2: cool. Yeah. I love the kids. Uh, mm-hmm. It was children. Um, that children were there and present and with their families. And every night they had these um, musical circles and things like that upstairs in the presentation room. And everyone just got together and They had a few artists sing because they were originally just music festivals. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was really nice and it was really relaxing. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed every aspect of the camping and they really enjoyed the the Trap Vinyasa, even though they were super apprehensive and it was super white, honestly, (laughs) and very hippie. And so like we were like... I don't think this is what I want to do. <laughs> and then they started doing it, and they loved it. But Well, in Western yoga
0: culture, isn't that kind of what you're probably dealing with a lot anyway? Less of the hippie and more of just the very white
2: yeah. demographic. Yeah. I mean, I get that a lot with um And I had to come to terms with that because I think I like battled it a long time or more so resisted it just because um, I, I just want to trap vinyasa to attract more brown folks mm-hmm. um, but at the end of the day I I just I just noticed that where I am and I'm in Seattle Washington and naturally I'm gonna just I'm, I'm not gonna attract all the brown folks that I would like just because they're not the majority of the population mm-hmm. and um, they might not have the disposable income uh, to come to a trap vinyasa class but that's why I always keep the community-based class that I started trap vinyasa with. I started by just renting out community centers in the South End, mm. so I always keep the community classes where the price is like signif- significantly lower for them. A lot of the people who come to the community classes are, are POC, people of color. Um, but when I go to the studio tours and everything, you know, it is it is mainly like white folks. But I hold space for anybody, you know. I I, I no longer like just only want to create space for only one type of demographic Mm -hmm. because I hold space for anybody who needs it, you know? And um, there's a lot of uh, non-POC women out there who don't have the ability to tap into their sensuality or that self-expression, and who am I to say that they're undeserving of that liberation because they're not brown, Mm -hmm. so...
0: I think that's so important that... uh you are an outlet for that. I, I don't. I know a lot of. I guess we're on the east side over here, and a lot of uh, women are very pent up, and like you said, not really expressive in who they are, or they're expressive mm-hmm. for men, right? Uh, not for themselves, and so mm-hmm. I think it's great that you are holding that kind of space, regardless of who shows up. You are just saying, "Hey, have you uh, gotten any?" Uh, um, I guess we'll say uh, non-binary people coming to classes oh
2: yeah for the community classes we get a lot of um queer and transgender which i love yeah the community classes we just we get so many different types of folks and that's what we started attracting right when i started trap vinyasa when i would just rent out spaces um one of the reasons why i just continue to feel so supported because they're the the community attracts people who identify as other and I have always identified as an other. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I love feeling supported by that. And I, I just really did not like that I didn't feel that at studios. I didn't feel supported because none of the people who came really identified as other. And um, so they didn't really know my trauma. And they weren't really trying to um, break open and find trauma healing together. Mm-hmm. But we do that every week at the community classes. And we've... That's what we started with, and so I I feel really blessed to be able to have curated that community for myself, drew that space for others in.
0: Can um, you describe it all in ways that you try to tap into that? Because part of why we're not in the studio world anymore is that they all feel very workout-oriented, and you're just there Mm -hmm. to do your you know, warrior poses and get the yoga butt, and at the end of the day, it just feels very... Aesthetic based. So, mm-hmm. um, how as a teacher, how how are you kind of working to
2: weave that in? Weave in the the sutras and the the deeper message, the yeah, philosophy, the the self love and the expression and all that. Yeah. Well, trap vinyasa is it's a really body positive um, practice, but even more so, it's it's really about breaking out of duality based third dimensional consciousness where you kind of look at one thing as like good, bad, right, wrong. Mm -hmm. That's the root or the, we call them trap vinyasa elements. Um, One of the main elements of trap vinyasa is really transcending third dimensional duality-based consciousness um, and beginning to cultivate a space of grace in your body so that you can transcend up to the fourth and fifth dimensions. Um, So beginning to identify as a living soul first, having a human experience second, so that you can begin to break out of um the judgment and the criticism as as to how you identify and label yourself and and more specifically so when we begin to transcend that third dimensional duality based consciousness or when we feel stuck in that uh we cut off shadow So you you cut off half of yourself because it doesn't necessarily appeal to societal norms. Society is very third-dimensional in its thinking. We live in a third-dimensional reality, right? That's what the earth is. And so I try to teach students how to transcend third-dimensional consciousness so that they can receive their shadow and begin to alchemize it because you can't receive what you won't acknowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's one of the main things I try to teach in Trap Vinyasa, or the main philosophy behind Trap Vinyasa is really beginning to ascend to the fourth and fifth dimensions so you can cultivate a space of grace within your physical form and emotional body so that ultimately you can create that space and grace for other people around you. The reason why I call it Trap is because um, I, I was, I'm Nigerian-American, so I'm first generation, but I was born in Atlanta. And so my... Family growing up were traditional, we always did traditional West African dance, and I learned how to move from that. Um, but my cousins and some of my cousins' friends were dancers, hip-hop dancers, and exotic dancers. So I, I learned how to move from them. So I was always, um, I was really used to just saying, like, like really, 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 really. ooh, uh uh Hello.
0: Yeah, it sounds weird. Hello, Clarice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Did you just like summon a seance or something? Yeah. <laughs> some crazy spirits? I have no idea what that was. I Probably don't know. some sort of power surge.
0: Oh, weird. That's all right. It kind of worked well. You were, <laughs> yeah. you were going in and I liked it and you overloaded the system. So
2: keep going. Carry on. <laughs> but yeah, so they were hip-hop dancers, exotic dancers. So I kind of had this mashup of how I learned to move my body with... West African dance and um, a little bit of exotic dance, how they would teach me, and then hip-hop dance. And obviously, trap rap music originated from the South, um, from Atlanta specifically. And so um, growing up in that culture and seeing that those types of women and seeing the movement of that, um, I always kind of felt empowered in that scenario or in that situation or culture. Um, I love, like, obviously... I love like Obama and Michelle and things like that. But that type of woman didn't really, I'm not really that influenced by that type of woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm more influenced by the woman that I grew up knowing and seeing. And um, they were just radical and how they moved and radical and how they thought and radical and their beliefs and their actions. And not conservative at all. And that heavily influenced me. And I did suffer some, like, severe sexual trauma when I was younger. And so when we moved here, it kind of it kind of exacerbated itself, um, honestly. Uh, just the culture shock of it all and just trying to maneuver in Washington State as, a, like, a Nigerian-American um, girl. Um, like, I didn't really feel received by... Um, any communities because I wasn't enough of this. Like I was African, so I wasn't black enough, and then there wasn't African community. Um, and then I was, you know, white people didn't really because I was I was black, or it was just like so. That's where I started to identify as other, really young, mm-hmm. and just found these really different communities, um, really quickly. Um, but I started to, I started to really use a lot of substances to find that confidence or access that confidence really young and that kind of exacerbated itself by the time I was in college I was really um, heavily abusing a lot of substances, a lot of drugs and that's what drew me to my yoga practice um, in the midst of that though like you know I was heavily influenced by like other communities or trap communities. I I dated pimps. I knew a lot of, even still to this day, I know a lot of escorts and some of my friends were escorts and things like that. And like, I've always somehow trickled into those communities and things like that. Um, Did my little stint in like the clubs and everything. And so I continue to always find um, self complete self-expression in those communities because even though there's so much judgment bombarding them or coming at them all the time, the amount of grace that they have for our people is profound. Like mm-hmm. They have no judgment or criticism for other people. Mm-hmm. It's just grace. And so when I founded Trap Vinyasa, I was like, I wanna mimic that grace. I wanna create, because I'm surprised that I can't find it in a yoga studio you know, like it blew my mind. And by that time, like when I became a teacher, like I had done so much healing from substances and um, self-examination and and just utilizing the sutras and everything to really become aware of what I was carrying. Um, So I was really excited when I became a teacher and I was I was really baffled that that amount of grace wasn't in those spaces, Mm -hmm. and so I created trap vinyasa because I was just wanting to find self-expression in my practice and aid in my own healing in a in a way that held space for me. Mm -hmm. And so it started in my living room, and I just started to flow to different bits of music, and um, I added hip hop, I added like traditional Niger beats, and um different movements in in addition to the asana and
0: can we i need to break down a lot of that stuff that's awesome so much great information but i have so many questions now so what atlanta to seattle that's a big trek so what brought you here and how old were you
2: uh, when i came here i was i think i was 11 okay and um i came my mom is like very spiritual and honestly my sisters and my cousins were getting into a lot of trouble in Atlanta, and my mom was just like, "I don't want my kids to grow up here because I feel like they're it's bringing out the worst part of them." and we were we were kind of bad. <laughs> and so she had heard about Seattle. She didn't know anybody here, wow. so she moved. And she lived in someone's garage for a little over a year just trying to learn the lay of the land. And then she told my dad, like, she's like, yeah, I think this is the better place. Like, bring the kids. I don't care if you come. Just bring the kids. So
0: I haven't been to Atlanta, but I have some awareness of it. Is it a lot more conservative, I would
2: assume, than Seattle? A lot more conservative? Is Atlanta more conservative? Like, being... No. No? You mean, like, like, no, Atlanta's wild. Is it? I didn't know that. You're talking about. You're talking. Um, I mean. I guess I'm
0: thinking of a southern state that it would be yeah, very conservative. Yeah, you're thinking about like the
2: old. Yeah. Okay. Like Savannah, oh, where all okay. the white people live.
1: My dad's whole side of the family's from Georgia. Oh. Yeah. I've, I only went there when I was three. Okay. But, so I don't, <laughs> I don't Savannah. Really Savannah's
2: like obviously Savannah. We're all white people live and stuff. It's very conservative. Gotcha. Very conservative. But Atlanta is not so much. Okay. Yeah, I was like, just
0: curious if that was a big transition to come out to the West Coast and to Seattle. That's very liberal. Mm-hmm. Um. So I wasn't sure if politically if that felt different. Uh, well, for me, yeah,
2: reason. I was still so young mm-hmm. that I didn't notice. I wasn't really aware of political different political climates mm-hmm. or. Um. But Atlanta, I just was always, Atlanta and downtown Decatur and everything where we were living, it was just always so many brown people. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything was always fluid, and now Atlanta has its own, it's like its own little black Hollywood, you know? And, um, it's just a pulse in that city of so many creatives, so many artists. Do you go back at all? Oh yeah. nice. Yeah, I go back often, so. Um, I see all the changes and how just there's so much so many artists, so many creatives popping up in different sectors. um, but I go to a di- I go to a specific area you know mm-hmm. um, you go to Savannah and things like that, you definitely see the conservative, kind of um, staunchy um, type of views out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see it when you're driving through you know confederate flags and everything like that, but because there's just so many. People of color that look like you around you, you don't really feel that unless you're around someone who's not. Right. So,
0: so then fast forward, and you're in the Seattle area, and you've somehow worked through all of your um, shadow work, I guess you could say, before even going through teacher training. Usually that's when we start to see it happening. So, I love that you had already kind of created this big shift in your life beforehand. So, um, well, I was
2: practicing, I practiced seven years before I came, became a teacher. Nice. I practiced so for a
0: long time before I became a teacher as well.
2: I yeah. had no, I had no desire to be a teacher. Yeah, me neither. Um, I was, I never even considered it. My practice was mine, and mm. I really needed it. I really needed it. I, I needed to be reacquainted with discipline. I needed, I needed structure, and I needed to see myself. And I, I hadn't, I hadn't. I just.
0: Do you recall what type of practice you entered?
2: In oh with? yeah. I I entered I with Bikram and nice. I practiced Bikram religiously for four years. Um It's <laughs> a good word for
1: Bikram. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: and I competed nationally. Ah. It was crazy. I was and then I transitioned to more Hatha Ingar um practices and then moved into Vinyasa slowly. Um but I just I needed that. I was what did you end up doing your training through? So I've done two trainings, two 200 hours. The first one that I did was just at a power vinyasa studio, um, urban yoga spa in downtown Seattle. Mm-hmm. And the second one I did, I just wanted more time, um, was eight limbs, 200 hour, nice. the longer. Yeah. And so I wanted to make sure I had what I needed um, the foundation that I had that that I felt like I needed for a full two hundred hour because I didn't feel like I got that at the first one, um although it was it was it was really beautiful. and um, but the second one at eight limbs just compounded everything. some
0: of our teachers have gone through like multiple. they continue to go through different two hundred hours because every school is gonna have a different influence and different ideas. And, yeah. yeah,
1: so do you feel like the the Bikram side of things for you was helpful in kind of getting over the, uh, I guess we'll say addiction, but not necessarily addiction, uh, more substance abuse. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that um, type A, super intensive, hot room, you're doing the same sequence over and over, do you think that like really helped you? discipline. Yeah, that discipline Mm -hmm. of something over and over. Do you think that helped you kind of uh, get in touch with your shadow side and kind of break through those difficult barriers? Mm -hmm. Um,
2: Tremendously, I I think, I know a lot of people Rag on Bikram, and he's done a lot of shitty things. Very much so. At the same time, I needed that practice. I needed that structure. I was I was all over the place. Like I had no breaks. Um, There wasn't anything that I wouldn't let myself do, or and I just didn't. I wasn't really aware of anything, and so that practice, that structure, just started to build such a self-awareness because I could hear what my beliefs were i could hear what my self-talk was i started to learn how i actually felt towards myself and uh, naturally other people and it was very egoic in the beginning and um i think that's why i broke out of it obviously the the hierarchy of the way the class is set up and everything Mm. and um i knew i wanted something um a little bit more intentional
1: and your creativity it sounds like you were always a very creative person and yeah so expressive that's the thing mm-hmm. is you can't express yourself in Bikram and so I think it can be super helpful in a type a intensive situation where you kind of need to uh, go through the motions yeah and like, then vinyasa yeah. allows you to create your own motions mm-hmm. and your own fluidity
2: it's honestly to be honest with you um Uh, sometimes I I still sometimes I really still enjoy structure like Mm -hmm. um, just because I am so creative and Mm -hmm. so all over the place uh, I really love like forest yoga or Iyengar or you know hatha based practices with no music and I'm just in there with myself in a way where I can really become self-reflective and 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 hear and understand. I, I just, I really do like those types of practices. Still,
1: yeah, that um, I can definitely get behind. The mm-hmm. the hard thing is, um, in Ooh. in the, the world we live in today, it can be very easy to be dismissive of things that people have done wrong and just say like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, it's okay. Like I really got something out of it. Yeah. So that's kind of a, a a sticking point for me with kind of the whole Bikram thing is like. Being able to find that the rigidity and the structure in something, um, just you know, switching to something more like hatha or you know an Iyengar practice, like you were saying, where you can you can still find that, but it's not tied to something so negative. And if you do actually go to a Bikram studio, you are paying money towards this institution that has done a lot of harmful things to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and I think, um. In the world we're in right now, there's a lot of pushback mm-hmm. against stuff like that, which I think is well-deserved and finally coming. Um, yeah, it's, it's figuring out kind of how to navigate between what you need and what's, I don't know, available. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly where I'm trying to go with that. Does that, that
0: influence <laughs> your teaching? So I, I just kind of browse through your offerings. Are, are most of yours very music expressive based? Or <clears throat> do you offer any things that are more of a quieter, more contemplative practice?
2: Uh, Trap Vinyasa is heavily music based. And the Divine Feminine um, Yoga Workshop and the Divine Feminine Hatha classes are not. So okay. they're just traditional Hatha classes, no music, very fluid, watery the sequence, so um, it helps to drop into the receptivity, which is what the divine feminine is, it's just a, a receptive, becoming, re- ha- uh, embodying a receptive nature, which is a genderless energy. Um, so the movements are really fluid and watery so that you can be receptive towards yourself and energetically towards other people around you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do have those two main practices and then diamond body or vajra um, vinyasa and gentle are are non music based practices as well. And nice. so they have a nice range.
0: Yeah, and are the, is the um, so is the, are these all overall themes that if you were to show up to it on any given day, it would vary a bit. Or are you influenced a bit by your upbringing of having it be fairly structured? So if you went to one, um, and then you went to it again in another city or a different
2: studio, would it be fairly similar? Like trap vinyasa or? Sure. Any of your workshops? Oh, they are set set. So trap vinyasa is four set sequences. Okay, cool. Um, They focus on the four elements of trap vinyasa, Mm -hmm. um, the history of hip-hop or the storytelling power of hip-hop when combined with asana, and how to utilize um, the storytelling power of hip-hop to rewrite and redefine the story you've been told about your body. And then series two is Surya Kaur. It's um, about accessing or becoming receptive to one's personal power because I've always been on this trek of confidence, (laughs) quote unquote. And once I started practicing, I started to receive that confidence is actually in me, but I've never allowed myself to receive it unapologetically. I've always kind of shrouded myself, Mm -hmm. made myself small. So that practice is all about really becoming receptive to your own personal power, not aesthetically based, um, but becoming more aware of what's housed in your core, that energy there that personal power, really feeling it Mm -hmm. um, and really receiving it without apologizing for it or shrinking yourself down or adding any false notions of humility. And then series three is bhakti kickboxing and that combines yoga, dance, and kickboxing. And and I consider myself a bhakti yogi. Every every extension of asana I do is an extension of praise um, to sovereign God that I serve And so I wanted to create a practice where people could serve whatever deity um, that they uphold or withhold within their being. And it's kind of a a harmonization of like surrendering and then also empowering through the kickboxing. And I wanted people or individuals to feel what it feels like to be strong in their body. That's why we use the kickboxing. You start to feel what mm-hmm. it feels like to be strong in your body, um, and obviously, right now, a lot of a lot of women need to feel that, and so I understand what that feels like, you know. And, um, and the last one, Hitting Nahatha is all about utilizing the heat of the breath, the pranayama, to cleanse and purify, um, become to come to the place where you're reflecting pure awareness, not the stories that you've adopted. Um, which is the diamond body, Vajra-Diha, to, to come to a place of pure awareness. Um, and that's a tantric term, which I, I, I study tantra pretty heavily. Um, but as you guys know, it's believed in tantra that you're, you're born with a very specific weave. Uh, tantra means to weave. And that weave becomes undone as we're birthed into this third-dimensional de- reality. and. Um, we adopt different weaves based on authority figures and societal norms and standards that people give us. Um, and we become, our, our original weave becomes somewhat tattered. So coming back to your original weave um, as a living soul, as a living soul first having a human experience, second coming back to that original weave um, so that when you look at yourself, you see pure awareness, you're reflecting pure awareness, not the stories that you've adopted. And... Um, so that's a hatha based practice and it does combine a little bit of hit. So those trap vinyasa four set series are always the same. Mm-hmm. Always the same. Um, the divine feminine um yoga workshop has six six sequences hatha sequences for each archetype and those are mm. always the same. And then diamond body vinyasa changes. Diamond body gentle changes depending on if I teach it or my intern teaches it, she teaches the diamond body gentle. I teach the vinyasa. And sometimes we switch. But the foundations are the same, are rooted in that um, reflection of pure awareness. And there's kind of a movement that we've crafted, a fluid um, movement that we've practiced or crafted to, to find that. But I just want to go really mm-hmm. quickly back to what yeah. you said. Yeah. Because that's like resonating with me and my body still right now. And I know I hear you, what you said about like Bikram and just not ignoring, not just like ignoring what happened, you know, Mm -hmm. and I I, I do hear that. And I want to respect that. And, And it's interesting because I went back a few, what was that last year? I did a Bikram practice and I was like, this... (laughs) <laughs> this is really unhealthy to go into a back band right in the beginning of practice. Yeah. It just didn't make <laughs> yeah. sense. You know, sequencing is, mm-hmm. uh, we've talked about that in our teacher training. Yeah. Uh, I have a major issue with the way it's sequenced. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't make it doesn't make sense um, in my body anymore. It doesn't feel emotionally safe to me with the knowledge that I know about Bikram. I also have to respect what I gained mm-hmm. at that time and the space that it provided for me. Um, I have to show gratitude for that, you know, and I, I want to, I want to make sure I show gratitude to that. At the same time, the practice and its foundation and its root comes from a man that I think is a little—I don't know what that man is—but mm-hmm. <laughs> he he has his his shadow work to do. I try not to judge and criticize other people, um, but acknowledge that they have their own shadow work to do and let it be that. And then I move on and make my own decision from there. Mm-hmm. And so Bikram doesn't make sense for me anymore. I don't feel s- emotionally held or safe in that practice, which is important for me to feel as a Nigerian woman, moving my body in a certain way. Um, I can already imagine had I been in his presence, obviously black bodies are super hypersexualized. I don't know what that have, if that would have been safe for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I don't feel safe in it as a brown body anymore with the knowledge that I have. So I think it's like what you said is really important because there is this disregarding, you know. And um, it's easy to get into that space. Actually, one of my past lovers taught me this too because he's like super radical, super radical pro-black man. And um, I was in that space where it was like, Oh, everything is love, kind of thing, you know. And everything is love. Everything is love, you know. Hey, baby. Lou <laughs> nope. nope. Blue decided to come say He's hi. He's like, "Are you talking to me? Did you say love?" Nope. Nobody wants sit. full, full sit. sprint kissing. Sit, sit, good boy, good boy. <laughs> um, and he just we. Everything is love, but you have to acknowledge where we are, what we're going through. You have to feel what people are are experiencing, be empathetic to that. And um, that was really important for me, you know, Mm -hmm. to feel the, as an empath, I do feel and I think I was just like not wanting to anymore. Um, And I'm also very prophetic, and so i was going through that time where it's like oh everything is this and you know but no that we're in some nasty shit right now you know some nasty shit and it's showing some nasty shit within each individual and um we gotta hold space for each other or brave space rather hold brave space for each other and uh be empathetic
1: so holding that brave space you were just talking about is a very grounding thing and something antonella kind of always talks about with me and with other tts is um the ability to feel ungrounded Mm -hmm. and i think at some points that very um prophetic or everything is love can be this ungrounded lifted elevated state Mm -hmm. um and she deals with a lot of that where she can she knows what's going on in my head before I even do. Like it's she's got some weird mom woman shit that just goes <laughs> on that baffles me sometimes. But it's it's the importance of holding that grounding. And one thing I found with substances is that they tend to make you feel ungrounded, um, and they can elevate you to this state of all is love and wanting to be intrigued by all of this ethereal, beautiful, otherworldly information. And I think that what I've found from yoga is that it definitely helps in that grounding aspect of you can take all this ethereal information. And, um, I studied philosophy in college. And so my brain always goes to this like super deep, complex matrix, like information, but how do you bring that back to where we are now? Cause mm-hmm. like you said, there is some shit going on right now, some heavy shit. And so how can we take that information and, mold it into a digestible form that allows other people to take it in and feel some of that lifting because some people are way too grounded mm-hmm. um, and kind of combine those two. So I think it sounds like you've gotten to a cool place where you're able to combine those together, yeah. which I think is super important.
2: Yeah, I like to say I make enlightenment accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm making it accessible to all different types of people, brown people, white people. Whoever people, yellow people, <laughs> pink people, um, and it's interesting too because you like on substances. It could be that way. Like you can use substances to go to this ethereal place, or you could just b- use substances to be alive. Yeah. For me, like um, I was so zombie-like in my body for so long that when I got high, like I, I, I was already so devoid of life that it brought me just like a little bit higher up to a a normal state of living where people, the frequency they already exist at, I was just below there because I just was not alive in my body. So it just made me feel a little bit alive, you know? And so when I started to practice and I started to feel that normal frequency, I I wouldn't say normal, but started to like arrive to um, um, a frequency of living that was, blew my mind. I had always, like, I I was not living. I was not alive. Mm-hmm. I was not alive in my physical form. Like, I was, like, severely depressed, and I just was, little, like, just not living. And so to have, to get to a that state without any substances was profound to me. To be alive in my body was profound to me. Um, and I think it's, it's super important to, like, get to that place where you can, share ascension here, you know, because you can share ascension up there and not be empathetic of what people are experiencing right here, Yes, you know. And so I do that through tools like Trap Vinyasa. That's a practice that meets people where they're at. It doesn't require you to have um, certain aspects of a practice yet, or certain or know certain things, which tends to draw so many others away from the practice. You know, it doesn't it's not this exclusive club or anything uh, like like a studio feels like that. It's literally for the community. It's for the people. It meets you where you're at. And I have continued to get so many people who are just brand spanking new to yoga and Travanyasa's their first yoga practice. And from there, they, they move into, whether it be Diamond Vinyasa or they move to Divine Hatha, they move into, like, I'm so ready to learn more. I meet them where they're at. I don't require anything of them. And I teach them in a way that they're able to receive and it is accessible for them. Um, if I'm breaking down the sutras, I'm using my life to break down the sutras. I'm using my story to break down the sutras or the limbs. Um, not, I'm not leaving it in, in ancient times where they can't grasp. I'm making it authentic um, and real. And I think people can become to begin to receive that because I'm so vulnerable with my story, then they can really allow themselves to expose their own and really see what trauma they're dealing with mm-hmm. and begin to use the tools provided um, through the philosophy to begin to, understand why am I carrying this trauma and how can I begin to alchemize or heal this trauma you know into an ascension point which is why I love MCs because I feel like they're modern day alchemists they are Mm -hmm. literally transmuting what was a traumatic point into an ascension point into their lives and that and it just it draws us all together on that one thread of a story you know
1: Um, I'm so glad you brought that back up because one thing I was specifically gonna ask was you said the first part of your trap vinyasa series is Storytelling and hip-hop and I was mm -hmm. gonna ask what kind of MCs or lyricists really influenced you Mm -hmm. early on?
2: Yes, I mean obviously Jay I'm a big Jay-Z fan Nas and I love Kendrick Mm -hmm. I love the authenticity of Kendrick um And then I love trap artists, you know, like I grew up listening to to Tip, um, T.I., but (laughs) my cousins were also on his label way back in the day when he had like Grand Hustle. And so I've been around I've I've been around Tip and have I've just I've seen him grow and, and change as a man and alchemize his trauma into ascension points to really becoming this. This powerful being, but also utilizing what was these these flailing or failing points, um, and utilize those to empower people around him and to empower himself. I think it's really it's really powerful how hip hop artists can do that, and they continue to speak of how they came from nothing to something. And I really relate to that because I I really sometimes marvel at what Trap Vinyasa has become, or or the Divine Feminine, you know, just how from where I was and anyone who knows me has seen such a change. Like, I I, I just I, I marvel at how I was able to alchemize this and to you know, and to come to this point, you know. And that's what hip hop artists do all the time with their music through their stories. I think I think it's so powerful, you know, and I, I really relate to it. Um, And I find comfort and solace knowing that they're out there doing that, you know.
1: Yeah, you said earlier that it's easy. Or you didn't say that it's easy. Uh, You said that you felt like you were living below. I'm trying to remember the words that you used. Was living below uh, your potential with your body. Um,
2: Like the frequency of. How do I make this? Mm, I just didn't feel like I was living. I was like living below the frequency of of living life.
1: Yeah, and I feel like that's it, it's easy to compare yourself to the rest of the world. And you said like, oh, the average or the normal person is like living at the frequency, and I felt like I was below it. Mm-hmm. But what I've really found is that the average person is living way below that frequency. Yeah. Mm. That's why the opioid epidemic is huge because yeah. I think I've felt it so many times in my life where I'm sitting there and her and I have talked about it. She never experiences boredom. I experience uh-huh. boredom all the time and I'm always itching to change that boredom with some sort of substance. Yeah. It's it's just like... It's, it's this weird clawing inside of me that wants to be on some sort of different plane. Whether it's elevated or lowered, it doesn't really matter. It's just like wanting to move somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think the average person is really on that lowered level and, and they're looking to lift it. Um, and that can be through physical exercise, which is where yoga is super helpful, but then also taking that deeper into the the spirituality of things is, is super important. But I kind of just wanted to touch on the fact that it's so easy to compare ourselves to others and think that others are on this good level and that we're somehow less than, Yeah. but everyone is kind of struggling. And I think that's, it's, I commend you for what you've done with Trap Vinyasa and creating this space where people are able to kind of elevate themselves without needing a substance, which is very much just a short-term change. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't have much lasting effects.
2: Yeah, and it tends to keep you longer than you want to stay. <laughs> it takes you, it takes you longer than you, longer farther than you want to go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I will, I will correct you to say that I did say that. Start to say that I said I can't say that. <laughs> I can't. I can't say that. Yeah. I can only speak of my experience. Yeah. Um, but you're right. A lot of people. A lot of people are living there, you know, in that frequency, just right below. Uh, low density emotions like we just are living in like really low density dense emotions which make it makes it hard to ascend like the the more emotionally heavy you are the harder it is to really ascend Um, the more you can really transmute those emotions into higher frequency vibrations the lighter your emotional body becomes and the easier it is for you to begin to adopt or or believe or receive that you are a being of love and begin to exude love and not and exude love and truth in in your entire being in your thoughts and your and like your being becomes love and truth um rather than it just being something you say or a touch or something you do it literally your whole being um but it, it requires breaking out of that those low density emotions and um It's hard because I remember when I was, like, in my shit, you know, even though I knew that they weren't really helping me, I had, my depression, I had earned it. Like, it was, like, mine. I earned it. Your badge. Yeah, Yeah. nobody can take it away. Like, it's mine, even though it's, like, shitty. I do not want anyone to take it away from me because it was mine. Like, I had earned it, and I hadn't earned anything at that point. You know, so it's just like, how dare you take this away from me? Like this is who I identify as. This is only the the only person I know who I am. Like, you can't take this away from me because I'm nothing, you know. And it's those stories. We keep telling ourselves those stories, and um until we begin to like break slowly break out of that, which happens, but it does take time for each person, and that's unique um to each person. But when when we earn something, it doesn't matter if it's a positive or a negative, we've earned it and we just don't want to give it up cuz it's who we identify and who we identify as or with creates our reality. And if someone robs us, takes that from us, it feels like like your 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 earth is gone. Mm-hmm. And that's super scary. To like where do I live? You know, Did you feel that
0: way at first when you were transitioning out of substance abuse, when you were kind of like, all right, I need to do this less or I got to make a change? Did you feel an
2: attachment to oh, I felt those very experiences? Yeah. I felt very attached to, to the whole process of using, mm-hmm. like from getting... To getting it to what I did with it to how I ingested it like the whole process to like what action led to it after like I felt really attached to every moment that happened like when I used and um I identified with every point of that process and like um I I own that process like and I I I I just was like, this is who I am, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to disconnect from that because there was such a high in every point of the process, you know, <laughs> um, that I just did not want to live without it, you yeah. know.
1: And, and was the human connection part of it? Because that's always been a big part of it for me—is the the people that I interact with, and as someone who has struggled with um, self-acceptance issues and social anxiety. Yeah. Sometimes that ability to, like, have something to talk to someone about. Yeah. Like, you're going through these experiences with someone else or through someone else.
2: Yeah. It was a big thing because I was even thinking about this the other day when I was driving to – driving somewhere. I was like, man, because um, I used, like – I was really, like – if I wanted people to know – I was high, I would, I would use with them sometimes, but majority of the time I was like not wanting people to know I was high, like I was like using before I went to my dean's office, like before I went to work, you know, like because I was so, so densely insecure that it helped me function in real life, but it's also like man, this girl's so cool, like, she's so relaxed, (laughs) she's so calm, she can carry on such good conversation and be so creative and witty. And that's who I wanted them to believe that I was, but Mm -hmm. I couldn't be that person without any type of, drug, like, substances. Like, so I would, like, use before, like, go to parties and, like, use, and um, whenever anybody offered me something, I'd be like, no, I'm okay, thank you. Oh, wow. And then I would go and, like, yeah do what I needed to do in the bathroom and come back out. Um, and so they could be like, oh, my gosh, she's just so this cool girl. She doesn't she's need anything, and she's just so nice and, like, natural and and chill and so creative. And she can have all these conversations, like, till, like, 4 a.m. and, like, just, like, vibe out to music. And, like, I wanted them to believe that. So I, I was a brilliant liar. Wow. That's I so was, interesting because it's similar
0: like, goal set, but just in a totally different yeah, in a totally different direction yeah.
2: And I was such a good liar. I was such a brilliant liar. Like you would never know. You would never know. You until... got
1: that storytelling ability. <laughs> <right>? Yes, man. <laughs> and so
2: it was crazy because, like, even like there was one time where you know, like, I was like, I had to be hospitalized and like. That wasn't like a rock bottom for me. My rock bottom was more emotional than physical. Um, I just, I remember like using like by myself one time. And um, it was in like my parents' house and in like my old bedroom. Like I had, I was like on a college break or something. it was like right before I was about to graduate and My parents weren't home yet, and they came home, and uh, I just, I remember just crying. I was, like, on the floor crying, and, like, uh, I just was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I, and as soon as I said that, like, I just had a desire to be whole, and I never had a desire, I never cared, because I didn't know that wholeness existed and so when divine spirit gave me the desire just to let me become aware that um there was something on the other side it just it was a it was a progression from there i mean i, I still used from that like you know i still used after that you mm-hmm. know but that just woke something up like just be, i just knew that there was more i hadn't i had never really believed that there was really more i just thought that, that was it you know and so Breaking my identity from that is hard when you don't believe there's more, like when you just don't have really a lot of hope. And hope was what started to move me. It was the hope, which is just an extension of love. Faith faith brings substance to the things hoped for. I think it's a biblical verse. Faith brings substance to the things hoped for. And so um, this... All of a sudden, this like faith started to awaken and it started to bring substance to like a hope that progressed me forward, that awoke a desire that was a guide. Like, my desire walked me out of that, walked me out of that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I teach. Students not to be ashamed of their desires and things like that, because it's not that you get fixated on one desire and you stay there. The desire is a guiding force to take you to another one and you mature that desire. It takes you to another one. It shows and reveals who you are and what you've experienced because um, you've walked this path before. You get to a point where things feel start to feel familiar for me. For me, I, I, I've been here before. Spiral. Yeah. Now I'm are you going, going up or are you going down? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going with more awareness. Yeah. I have more awareness now. And so I, I let my desire guide me to what I've already achieved, what I've already uh, what I already have, you know, beyond spirit or beyond um flesh. Um, beyond my physical body. And so that progression of hope, but it also started to really allow me to receive that I was a being of love. And I began to identify as a being of love other than with a substance. And I still get social anxiety. You know, Uh, I, you know, I still want to get high sometimes. And um, that's okay. I know that's, it's not to like, look for that to stop because it probably won't i just like drugs so mm-hmm. um i just have come to accept that and but let myself progress beyond that i don't want to live there you know so
0: not attaching to the experiences that you had without that, knowing that those were a thing and they got you to where you are now yeah. but you don't necessarily have to go back there i don't have to be those things yeah.
2: like you know, practicing non-attachment. I don't have to be that, you know. Every experience that I have is an experience, but I don't have to be that experience. I don't have to be that emotion. I don't have to be that low-density feeling. Um, and continuing to allow my, myself to process through and giving myself the space to process through is really important because there are times where I do want to identify as that. I want to be that and it usually happens when if I try to force myself not to process through it, but give myself the space to process through it to sit and sit meditation, self- examine what's going on, let myself have it, whatever low density emotion I'm feeling. And once I start to sit with it, then it starts to decode itself to me. It's and uh, it un- the the weave unweaves itself to me and then the natural weave comes together, and whatever was caught before um, evaporates, you know? I like that idea, because
0: Jordan uh, deals with, as we all do, but some rough days and some um, times where he's just like really in his head, and he'll have this scowl, and he'll say, I need to go meditate, and and I get that, and I think it can be helpful to meditate, but I like the idea of going into it with that sort of a goal. Like I'm not going to meditate to fix what I'm feeling now. I'm going to meditate mm-hmm. to be in it, yeah, and to really just like sit in the stuff that I'm feeling and be okay with that and see what yeah. comes of it and notice what that weave is to me, rather than I have to use meditation to alter this mm-hmm. negative state that I'm in.
2: Yeah, because it'll just receive it. will just real. It'll just reveal itself to you. Mm-hmm. It'll just once you just the. Because your inner guide knows, but you have to sit with yourself long enough to let it communicate with you. Not for any specific purpose, but just to be in it. Mm -hmm. Just to be in it with your inner guide, to build that relationship with yourself. So I use it as a time to be with me, be with my inner guide, be with sovereign spirit. And it starts to then, once I let myself sit with myself and with sovereign being in love, it shows m- me what i'm dealing with and it the low density thing just evaporates it literally evaporates away like every time and i just sit in it cuz i mean i've broke so many things it was like this pattern that i had with this pimp that i dated and um i can't say that he's just he's so much more than a pimp <laughs> i mean he's not a pimp anymore you can write a song about that he- <laughs> he was a really big part of my life for a long time. And I feel like he was definitely, what is that, the soul being or something, soulmate? But that doesn't necessarily mean that in this reality. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was such a divine connection that I had. And I watched him, we watched each other grow. And he's become, he was very smart, also another artist very creative and I watched him literally alchemize his trauma and turn into an ascension point and I watched him do some a lot of legal things and um, create a million dollar business now million dollar production company and um, he does really well for himself now but I remember we had this pattern same pattern of just gaslighting extreme gaslighting on his end and just Oh, so unhealthy. And I remember one time, like, it would feel like I was dying every time he would do certain things and leave me, and he knew how to do it, to just drag me along in the worst way. And one time he just, once again, just angrily left my apartment, like, just, just that, just blatant abandonment. I'm just abandoning you right now. I want you to just feel this so you know and I remember being locked out of my apartment because I left my key and I couldn't get back up the elevator so I had to wait till somebody came down the elevator and I remember just sitting by the elevator and I just sat in it I just sat in that deep abandonment and I just cried and I remember it just hurt so bad and I sat in it and I sat with myself, and Sovereign God just was revealed a higher emotion. And that broke that pattern just like that. And he never had that power to do that to me again, and he knew it. Where I would run to text him, him to him, texting him all night, texting him all morning. I didn't text him, and he's the one who texted me days later, like, And I was fine, you know? And so I learned the power of, like, just sit meditation, like just sitting in, let myself identify it at that point because when you try to process through it so quick, um, you're not holding space. We always want to hold space for other people, but you got to learn how to hold space for yourself Mm -hmm. first. And in holding space, I'm building a relationship with sovereign being because it is in me energetically it's in me and I'm cultivating that love relationship with sovereign being which is an extension of myself and myself begins to reveal what I can't really see you know, mm-hmm. and it's a continual process. What mm. would you
0: say that you, if you're willing to share, what you sit with more currently? What are mm. some things
2: that you find? It's so funny because I don't do it a lot anymore.
0: Yeah,
2: I used to. I used to have to do it all the time, but I've I've alchemized a lot of that stuff that I I kind of don't have to sit in it anymore. Mm-hmm. But when I do, <laughs> it's more gratitude now. Mm-hmm. It's more so I sit in gratitude. I'll go and sit with myself in gratitude and express gratitude to sovereign sovereign source, sovereign being and then something will reveal itself that mm-hmm. was that was there that has unprocessed that I've identified with too long that I it's myopic now. It's it's small, so I don't really see it. I don't notice it as quickly as I did before with the big things. Mm-hmm. So it'll come through that but they're they're really myopic now. They're really small. I identify with that a lot. I
0: get that question a lot from people like, oh, you must meditate all the time, and you might, and I'm like, no, kind of, but no, <laughs> no, I don't really yeah, anymore. I don't really have to sit and have a designated meditation time because I feel like I'm sort of in a constant state of that all the all time. the time.
2: You realize, yeah,
0: yeah. There's there's this. Um, I can drop in very quickly when I need to, and like you said, it's it's a minute uh shift that needs to occur or mm-hmm. awareness or gratitude it's not necessarily uh I really need to meditate and then go and go wow I just had this thing blow my mind it's a lot more of just a part of my life yeah constantly yeah it just becomes an extension mm-hmm. of
2: you That's- no I would
0: say it's a big part of my yoga practice as well as my teaching practice so when I'm practicing and um, I'm setting an intention, at the usually at the beginning and the end of my practice. Um, those are really, like, kind of emotional moments for me. And then also when I'm teaching a class, especially when they're in Shavasana, I usually, that time is usually spent uh, in that state, either for myself or... Um, Uh, transmissioning it Mm -hmm. to each body or each energy in the room and so it it does feel like it's just a part of who i am now Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah.
2: i I can definitely relate to that although people do might need those big meditation Mm -hmm. chunks in the beginning Mm -hmm. to process the big stuff the dis the low density stuff because it's so heavy you know
0: i really want jordan to come to your classes i think we're going to come to your classes or workshops i think it would be so good for him because there's parts of him that are very wild and free uh but again it's usually atmosphere or substance based Mm -hmm. and so i think it would be really cool for him to be in that atmosphere and just see him shake some of it off and yeah he was raised very like proper and um, I know, look at that fat-ass house. Fat like, house yeah. I, when I saw that, I was like, fuck. <laughs>
2: that fucking house is fat.
0: Yeah, he's got, you know, the Microsoft parents and the you were the theology student of the year in your Christian Catholic school or whatever. So he was brought up very, you
2: mm-hmm. know. I understand. I, yeah. My parents are, Mus- are Muslim. Okay. So, like, it's so funny, too, how sometimes your parents need to see, like, you change in order to give themselves permission to evolve. Mm -hmm. Because I grew up like heavily Muslim. Like half of Nigeria, as you know, is heavily Muslim. And uh, that's the part my family's from. And um, so I had to go to bus every week and wear my hijab and... (sighs) Just like, and it never made sense to me. I was just like, why do I have to sit on this side and the guy (laughs) sit over there? And then I can't, I can't pray when I'm on my period. It just was like, um, never made sense to me. And I just rebelled against it so much. I was so rebellious against it. And um, once I started to like, just transcend or like started to practice and uh, really identify with, I guess you could say, Christ consciousness. But, uh, you know, a higher consciousness, like I don't call myself like any religion and just started to receive sovereign being in my, in my being. Like my parents, my mom studies Buddhism.
0: Wow. And
2: my dad goes to church after devout, devout, you know, and I, now I sit and I meditate with my mom, like we meditate together and, um. It's just wild. It's just wild. Sometimes, like, they just need to, even though they resist, because it's just like, I was always the child, like, oh gosh, what's going to happen to this one? Like, we're really worried. Like, we're really scared about this one. Like, she's not very bright. She's not really smart. I was really awkward looking when I was little. She's not really that beautiful either oh no yeah and so I mean Nigerian ethnic parents look at me now ethnic (laughs) parents can be super harsh okay they're just very blunt yeah and so I I could feel that at a young age like my older sister was very brilliant just super smart like she would read through these thick ass books in like a day like Mm -hmm. she just was so sharp and my lo- younger sister was just so adorable. She was just so beautiful. She was mm-hmm. so beautiful. And um, then there was just me, and I was just so awkward. And I was a really depressed child growing up. Like, at a young age, I was really off. Like, if you look at my baby pictures, I just was frowning. I was angry. And they say Capricorns age backwards. I'm a very much a dense I was Capricorn. I totally going to ask what you're saying. <laughs> was. Okay, okay. And so... Yeah, and so I completely understand, and then growing up with those like dogmatic, like Muslim traditions and mm. rules, and like, uh, it was awkward, you know, but once I started to liberate myself, they liberated them, so they started to give them, so it's the grace, mm-hmm. you give other people space to embody grace too, When do you, once you do, and because it's happening to me, the one who's the most almost frustrated child, that they, you know, it's almost like, wow, it wakes them up immediately. Yeah, you know? my children
0: have taught me so much. They continue to all the time. I just watch them I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. I can definitely learn something from that. And that's great that your parents were open to that. mm mm-hmm. So I think generate, how old, how old are you? I'm 30. Okay, so they're in their 50s probably? Oh, the 60s. Oh, 60s, so yeah. that's even better that mm-hmm. they were able to be open to that. Um, I think depending what generation we're dealing with, but my um, I'm 100 percent Italian, and my when you're describing that, I so get it. Like it was so harsh growing up. My grandma was always very like, you're this one, and you're that one, and mm-hmm. and everybody had kind of a title the the beautiful one, the thin one, the uh, the the fat one. You're fat, you know. Mm-hmm. She would use words like fat and ugly all the time, and yeah. it was just baffling to me that there was no nobody really questioned it it was just the categories that you would put everyone in and, yeah and uh, and then you would start to identify with oh am am i that yeah. one <laughs> yeah it's pretty yeah. harsh
2: it was harsh for a long time and um it just it made it hard for me to want to excel because mm-hmm. i just identified so strongly with what my parents told me I was. And even because I'm such an empath, even when they didn't tell me, I could feel their worry constantly about what would happen to me. Like, what are we going to do with this one? Like, what is going to become of her, you know? And so it took a long time. Ooh, I think he, he was <laughs> dog, <dreaming. laughs> had, dog had a dream down here. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, and so it took some time to really process out of that and really begin to re- Define my story.
0: Have either of them been in your classes yet? I want it to happen. No. Do it, do it. No, and it's <laughs> just
2: like... I think it's also just a little... You know, just like it's hard to see sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like that your child might have a higher knowledge than you. Mm-hmm. Especially the one you were the most concerned about. And so there's been some resistance. But now my parents are at the point where like my dad is like I want to take your yoga class and he was so like no against like no like first of all he was men don't do yoga and that was like years ago you know yeah Yeah." and like you're like actually only men could do yoga back in the day he would say that all the time and now he's like oh I want to take your yoga class and all this stuff and I'll meditate with my mom like I've guided her through some gentle practices in her in her house um but for them to like get up and come it takes a lot we we and we're rebuilding like I've had some somewhat of a strained relationship with like my mom for a while or not and and that was a few years ago, and we've rebuilt and so it's it's just nice that i can I can just sit with her and um we can meditate or like I can get such such incredible wisdom from my mom, but she also is my greatest content like <laughs> contender. You know, it's just like I have so many triggers that she helps me reveal, like that, are from for my childhood and whenever mm-hmm. she'll say something, I'll just trigger her, and it sometimes it hurts me. Like recently, like um. She triggered something, and I, I've, I've, for the first time, I felt the hurt that I caused her. Like it made it hard for her to be in the room. Like she had to go upstairs. Mm-hmm. Like she was just like, "I'm not doing this. I'm going upstairs." Like but she was so wanting to get away from me, because that has been a constant trigger of mine towards her, which really made me like, "Oh shit! I really needed to fix that," you know. It's like making it hard for my mom to want to be around me, and I don't want that to be the case. I don't want my mom to feel like it's hard to be around me because that hurts me, you know. And that's
0: not if that's not her her mo normally then mm-hmm. yeah that would be startling i know some moms that are retreat very very quickly it's kind of that abandonment thing that you know you referred to earlier they're very quick to yeah. leave a situation and so when
2: it comes out of nowhere you're like oh wait yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah, parents do the best they can. I mm-hmm. always try. When we go through, we have the Trap Vinyasa Master of Ceremony workshop and retreat. And Master of Ceremony is like MC. That's what modern-day MC is. And so teaching people how to be the MCs of their lives through the tools. Ooh, and this is a this is a retreat? It's the Trap Vinyasa Master of Ceremony retreat, and we have workshops. We just did the, la- the retreat that in sounds September. That amazing. Yeah, it's every September. So we just did a local one, and the next one will be in Hawaii. And... So I really teach them to go through the process of process of entering into forgiveness and non-attachment where you're not like so identified by the trigger, identifying it to your parents that you can't forgive, but you can slowly enter into a process of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a process. It's not like you have to forgive and then on the other side you just like are like mosey posy with this person Mm -hmm. it's a process and you can take it as long or as little as you'd like and just start to begin to enter into it so you can release the trigger or the attachment to um the wrong information that you were given the person who gave you them the wrong information with the understanding that they gave you what the best that they had at the time Mm
1: -hmm.
2: so because releasing that from parents is really important yeah. and because they shape who we are and like we'll just keep being that person if we don't forget if we don't enter into that process towards them we'll just keep being whatever those identi- identities are so, coming as
0: someone who's been estranged from her mother for decades um does that require having a relationship with that person or no. is it okay cool it's just more a matter of I'm releasing this energy that I've been holding on to, but that doesn't necessarily mean we get to have to go have coffee together. Yeah,
2: like I've, done, <laughs> cool. I've, I've introduced <laughs> the process of forgiveness with so many people, mm. and sometimes naturally I draw to them still, and I'm surprised when I come to the point when I'm in face-to-face that I've processed so much that I don't have any resentment anymore, mm. even though sometimes I want to. But then, like, my emotional body is saying, we don't have that anymore. Don't don't conjure up those invisible stories anymore. We don't have that anymore. And there'll be times where it's just like, I process, but I don't want to entertain a relationship with this person, Mm -hmm. you know. And that's fine you completely have that decision you can you have the right so to I feel like
0: I definitely did that about eight years ago there was a huge shift and I was in a lot of counseling and I had this kind of closure forgiveness moment and then she was in town for some things and I kind of saw her from a distance and I didn't feel that same heaviness or anger or resentment when I saw her but I also felt like it was okay for me to not go give her a yeah. hug or hang out with her and I think the rest of my very Italian family has a hard time with that. And they're like, no, this is your blood and it's more important than anything. And you need to go have this relationship with her. And it was really challenging for me because I don't feel that way. And so it, they would kind of pull it back on me. It's like, oh, then you definitely have, you know, you're still holding this grudge. No. Or, No, I, I don't feel that way. And I want happiness for her. And mm-hmm. I want to be go on and be a great mom and not be influenced by... Um, what I think she did wrong or whatever and and just let it go yeah um, so it's your process nice. yeah. and you
2: define what that looks like for you mm-hmm. no one can tell you what that is and you keep processing through it till you get to the point and yeah you can get to I've gotten to the point where it's just like yeah I, I don't want a relationship with you mm-hmm. and I, I you could say I'm still in my process, or I'm like at the end of it. I don't care. I'm defining it, and I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm. I don't want to. You know, and that's fine. Yeah, that's gonna, people have to begin to respect your boundaries.
0: Well, and it's reality. You can't have a relationship with everybody. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather have spend the time and energy on people that it feels productive and loving. Exactly. Um, rather than there's this familial
2: obligation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you know? with families, you do feel like that. You know, and i think foreign families really feel like that Mm -hmm. (laughs) like oh like it's almost like you're like oh careful like you're stuck to them Mm -hmm. because they birthed you or something and like i have to have a real like a real relationship now at this point in my life like it has to be a real connection Mm -hmm. you know and um it just can't be in a, like, something that I have to do. I, I will, I won't align with that. It won't yeah. align with me. So I completely understand, you know. And that's why I've had to let my relationships with my family progress in time. Mm-hmm. Because they can't be forced. Like, there was times where I was, like, just didn't want to have a relationship with my sisters and just didn't want to have a relationship with my mom. And I had to progress through that in time to come to the space where I really, in love, wanted to cultivate a relationship with them Mm -hmm. in time. Like, not because of some familial uh, attachment, which a lot of relationships are, love relationships, quote unquote, just attachments. I want a real love relationship. Yeah, there's only
0: so much time in the day Mm -hmm. you know and there's so many things you want to get accomplished and you've obviously put a lot of heart and thought into this programming and into taking it out in the world Um, is this your pretty much all you do or do you have any things outside of it that really like get you excited or fire you up do you do anything in your spare time is that even a thing
2: do you have spare time I know I just do (laughs) I just do this yeah Like, I do programming for T.R.A.P. I mean, we're doing uh, continued education teacher training for T.R.A.P. in April 2018, 2019. It'll be a 40-hour continued education R.Y.T. And I'm really just putting so much into, like, how am I going to hold space for teachers to teach T.R.A.P., to Mm -hmm. own their stories, to take these elements and create and cultivate community in a way that, safe and brave space like so I'm really I have an application process I'm only accepting a certain number of of, um, applicants and thorough screening I do the same screening for every retreat like I do a thorough screening not everyone's just gonna just come and pay some money to go to the retreat you know like I need to know that you're really committed to the alchemizing your shit you know and Mm -hmm. like really breaking down this you know applying the philosophy and the tools into your life you know and holding space for other people too That's
0: the key thing is respecting the other people that are there mm-hmm. and they're not just there to go on a yoga retreat and, yeah, and learn just how drink to twerk and party. like yeah, yeah they they're there to work That's, through some stuff and it would be weird if you just had some random mm-hmm. person
2: in there that wasn't on that same level Yeah and thing. it's important too that I have teachers I, I don't want to just have like just White teachers who just want to shake their booty, Mm -hmm. you know, like, so I've been doing that. And then I have a new project coming out just called Diamond Body. And um, my goal in the next two to three years is I want to do a 200 hour, but I don't want to do it in the States. Mm. I want to take it back to Nigeria because Nigeria is at a point where wellness is something they're considering. (laughs) Like, mental health is never, mental health is looked at as, has looked at, been looked at as a curse in Nigeria. Like, they call them, like, the craze, like the crazy man. And, and just, it's, it's looked at as a curse and it brings shame to the family, Mm. you know. And so, now they have some yoga studios and they have, like, wellness studios, which is huge that's exciting yeah and so i want to do something i always wanted knew i wanted to go back and my parents have always you know say like yeah, you have a lot of advantages as an american nigerian american like mm. you know so i wanted to do something to boost the economy how can i help boost the economy gr- bring income to people out there and so i was like oh, i could you know host a really intentional teacher training in nigeria that's what i want to do the, The states are oversaturated with teachers. Yeah, way too many. Yeah, and so I'd love to host them in different parts of Africa. Mm -hmm. Start with Nigeria, where I know, move it to South Africa.
0: Well, this podcast has been known to make things happen, so (laughs) I will say, like, just putting it out there in this space, and all the people that will hear it, and just hearing yourself say it, and us go we'll check in with you and be like hey how's that going i i definitely think you can make that happen and and um the fact that it's coming from such a loving place of wanting to give back to the the roots that have at times been challenging for you that you've learned to love and embrace i think that's yeah
2: that means it will do well yeah i'm excited and so but this is what i do full time i'm thankful i'm thankful i've done the nine to five thing and i (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) like loathed it with a passion my body rejected it Mm -hmm. i got such severe sciatica i was a um, marketing copywriter yeah yeah. just type type typing and like i was actually copyrighted for for a while and i just my body's just so used to being active and movement and like i was just like my body's just rejecting this and then i went through this phase where for a few months my eyes would just swell up uncontrollably like I had to go to the hospital like they were like and they did all the testing on foods and everything and it wasn't any of that I think it was a nerve that was being pressed in my spine because I have scoliosis and Mm. the sciatic nerve tension I think it was something to do with that but my body was rejecting that job
0: well and as we know as entrepreneurs and yoga teachers you spend a lot of time at the computer now to get mm-hmm. all of all of these things coordinated, yeah. but you can get up, you can move, you mm-hmm. can spread it out throughout the day. And so there's um, yeah, it's nice
2: being your own boss. like Yeah, that. I definitely am one of those people that that was the path for me.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come out here. Thank I know y'all. it's a trek. It was really cool to talk to you. I'm so glad I like swatted my hand away from that computer and stopped doing my quote-unquote research because I just <laughs> think learning from you face-to-face and hearing your passion behind it speaks volumes, and mm. I definitely want to come check out some classes and encourage other people yes. to do so as well. I think it's
2: fantastic. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. I'm so yeah. glad I got to kick it with you guys. Woo!
1: All right. Well, thank you so much. Goodbye. Peace. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Gravity Lift Podcast with Jordan and Antonella. If you like our show and want to find more, check out our website at gravitylift.space.
0: And when you get a sec, please rate and review us on iTunes to help us spread these vibes far and wide.